0: Welcome to Two d Hokies Under the Influence. My name is Pete Berthod, and my co-host is Robbie Dowling. Robbie, we're almost there. Less than eight weeks to go to the start of the season, opening night against West Virginia. I'm starting to get real, real excited. We got six more teams to preview in our uh, scheduled breakdown series that we're doing. So uh, why don't you give us a Cheers. It's ACC
1: Media Days, the most exciting time of the year where you hear the same things over and over again from both the coaches and the students that they bring, but at the very least, most media and, and personalities and talking heads out there consider it the kickoff to college football where we can actually start talking about a little bit of substance versus just some off-season BS. So that's exciting. How about a, a cheers to getting things underway? We're inside the two months, uh, and yeah, I'm starting to get excited. It was We hit a tough lull about a month ago, and now I'm, I'm starting to get ready and get pumped up for the
0: season. Cheers. <clears throat> there has been a little bit more stuff going on the last month as compared to what we talked about in June. And again, we got a bunch of commitments over the holiday weekend. Our recruiting class for 2018 is really starting to take shape. We moved into the top 10. It was brief, but we were in the top 10 on both rivals and the 247 in-house rankings for a period there for our recruiting class. And we haven't been in that area in quite a while. And we're still waiting on Quincy Patterson's uh, three-star status to move up after he, uh, had what everyone seemed to call a really good showing at the opening
1: yeah the i think it was i think the total was three days his first two days he was getting a ton of props blowing up all over twitter and uh, a lot of the coaches were were saying good things that were out there it sounded like he struggled a little bit on live action 7v7 though the last day but he did a ton of I guess, more benefit for himself and his uh, his recruiting rankings uh, uh, overall and the performance there. And, uh, you know, I think he gained a lot of respect from a lot of coaches. And if nothing else, I'm just more concerned that we we keep him. That's yeah. uh, that's the goal at this point is we I want to see him uh, suit up for us. And I know he's interested in the engineering school program, which obviously is fantastic at Tech. So hopefully that helps in making sure that uh, he ends up a Hokie.
0: Yeah, it seems like he's reconfirming that he's a VT commit every other day on Twitter. Like someone's tweeting at him, and then he, he's like, no, I'm VT all the way. Like he does seem like a kid that he's pretty, he's been pretty unwavering in the fact that he's a VT commit through and through. In a little bit of good news for us and bad news uh, for the kid and for the school, West Virginia's linebacker David Long, who we talked about in our last episode uh, when we previewed WVU, he's going to miss the first month of a season with a meniscus. And their defense was already struggling to bring back a bunch of guys. Like They, they did, don't have a lot of experience with regard to Phil Steele's ranking or Bill Connolly's ranking uh, coming back, and that's going to hurt them even more on their defensive side of the ball. And what it means for us is an inexperienced quarterback with one less uh, veteran linebacker to worry about, that's, that's a good thing. And
1: I think the one position that in our preview we talked about them maybe being okay at, not great, was actually the linebacker spot was where they had some people coming back and they could have been fine, and then you lose that guy. Never want to see it happen, but you know, the, our job here is to talk about what we think about the game. It ends up in that game having a positive outcome for the Hokies despite the negative outcome for the kid and the
0: school. So um, it is what it is. And let me hit you with a little bit more good news, and that's how Gaines is back with the Hokies. He was our defensive end who looked really great two springs ago, got himself in a little bit of trouble, then had a promising end to the season last year, filling in at times at defensive end, and he is now back fully with the team after what I thought was an academic issue of some kind. But our defensive end depth is one of the biggest concerns on the defense, if not the biggest and getting him back is absolutely huge. And as long as we get Hill and Mahota back from their injuries that they missed the spring for, all of a sudden our defensive end spot is looking really, really solid. Would still like you to see it even even deeper,
1: but it was it's big news, and good for him for getting everything straightened out if it was academics or otherwise. Good on him for getting it together and
0: being – back fully on the team and ready to rock for 2017. And I did pronounce his name, how because I, I believe he put on Twitter, it's not who it's how something like that. <laughs> <laughs> that blew my mind. And I think, I think it was uh treadmill,
1: Somebody, I think it was Treadmill, put out the tweet that he was back and linked it up, and I had never been on his Twitter profile page. And when I saw that in the description,
0: I immediately sent you a message. I was like, I would never would have guessed that that was how it was pronounced. Yeah. We got a bunch of tough names to pronounce among these, these coastal teams we're going to preview later, so we apologize in advance for some of the pronunciations, but at least we're getting his right. And then... I got two more things. Tremaine was added to both the Bednarik and the Nagurski watch list. One is for the best linebacker. One is for the best defensive player. So that's exciting and expected. Watch lists are kind of stupid, but hey, if you you get your name out there. It's always good. And the last thing I had was Shane Graham did an Ask Me Anything on TKP. And initially, I think it was going to be about like his mini helmet collection, which is extremely impressive and nerdy and great in all kinds of ways but it ended up being about all kinds of stuff that people asking him questions about the championship game who he enjoyed beating the most it's it's pretty cool go on uh, the key play and you can check that out there's like 240 comments and and it it gets pretty silly at times but he got dragged into the cake or pie debate as usual um but it was uh it was kind of fun and cool that Shane did that I mean the fact i guess it came out in that that
1: i don't know how long he's been a member on there but all of a sudden the feed just goes about the helmet thing and then somebody just responds with kicker 13 or yeah, kick 17 you know, some, i there's yeah. a kick 17 and then just says "Yo, know here's what i had to do on the helmets and somebody replies and they're like shame? <laughs> is that actually you replying
0: to a message board post? It's so funny. Um, do you want to get into these teams now? I think I do you have any other notes? No, that's what I got. All right. The seventh game of the season. We did our first six last time. So the seventh game of the season is North Carolina, Saturday, October 21st, and it's in Blacksburg. Last year, Carolina was eight and five. They kind of had a disappointing year. 5-3 in the ACC, and they finished pretty well. 21 in the S&P. This year, Athlon projects them at 42 out of the 130 FBS schools. Phil Steele has them at 46. Lindy's had them at 45, and their projected S&P was 38. So you're looking at the 40th best team-ish in the country, 40 to 45, I would guess is where they're probably going to fall. But they could be worse. They are... Not bringing back very much. Obviously, we know they lost Mitch Trubisky, but they lost their top three running backs. They lost their top three wideouts. They lost three of their top five O linemen, and only fourteen percent of their scored points and one percent of their rushing yards is returning. <laughs> one one percent meaning that could mean anything. Yeah, one it's person. like four <laughs> yards. I don't. I
1: don't know. <laughs> yeah, after losing uh, losing Mitch. They are going to be looking at under center LSU transfer Brandon Harris. Who oh, I can't say that I <laughs> I can't say that I watch a lot of SEC games and follow their quarterbacks, which their quarterbacks have sucked for the better part of the last you know four years or so. But I was never that impressed with him. I don't think anybody else was was either. But he's got a little bit of experience, so uh, that helps them. They only have really one returning wide receiver um in austin Prol uh if you even pronounce it that way yeah it's ricky so, son
0: oh is it yeah the hmm. the nfl vet ricky Prol played for i want to say the colts and maybe the rams
1: okay you're you're out ahead of me <laughs> on that one <laughs> then again i don't watch nfl so that, that would make sense. Um, but, yeah, I think I think that's going to be a challenge on the offensive side is that there is not a whole lot coming back. They make it look like we're deep on offense yeah. given how much
0: that they lost. It reminds me of Clemson with how much they lost on offense. Uh, and I think they lost even more than Clemson did, and they don't recruit nearly as well, obviously. So it's going to be a struggle on offense. And, and Harris, at quarterback, the LSU transfer, that's going to be interesting. He's only a 53% career passer and – did have 20 TDs and 10 picks, but so much surrounding talent at LSU can help you along quite a bit. I will say, his skill set could be similar to Marquise Williams, who, you know, Fedora had a lot of success with. So maybe there's something there, and and Fedora's tutelage will be good for him. So they they could be better at quarterback than maybe people think. Uh, and obviously Harris can can run a little too. He had seven rushing TDs at LSU. There's a couple of guys that are, he's competing with. You got Nathan Elliott, Chaz Surratt, and Logan Bird, who at one point was committed to Tech, if I recall correctly. But it's going to be Harris's job, for from what I'm seeing. Uh, at running back, I see sophomore Jordan Brown and freshman Michael Carter. They're going to compete for the top spot. And Carter's been likened to Gio Bernard, and like he's a little bit of smaller, shifty type back. Uh, you mentioned Prolet wideout. They got a couple guys at tight end that could have a bigger impact because they're going to need outside help. They lost Mac Hollins. Uh, I'm I'm blanking on the other, but they always have had the last three years. They've had some really good receiving options. Uh, uh, what am I talking about? Switzer, our boy Switzer yeah. is finally gone. So
1: yeah, it only took you know what five seven years of eligibility, yeah. I think.
0: <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, and their offensive line it should be solid, but not great. I just. Uh, Harris is probably going to be their running game uh, to start the season, and as running backs get more comfortable, they'll be able to uh, to get those guys, Michael Carter in particular, going, the true freshman. Um, I would expect them to have to use these tight ends, Chris Fritz and Carl Tucker, a bunch. But the offense in general, it's going to take a giant step back compared to last year.
1: Yeah, and, I mean, you're losing – on top of losing Trubisky, you lose – um hood who i think was right. and i think a lot of it was consensus an amazing running back probably not used as as well as he even could have performed but still meant uh you know a ton for that team and um you know they do have the auburn transfer at running back uh stanton truitt but i don't i don't think anybody expects that guy to to take over i think it's going to be kind of brown or, or carter at the end of the day at, at running back so That's a ton of productivity that they lost on the offensive side of the ball. And I think they returned three offensive linemen. They have a couple other transfers coming in, one from Florida, excuse me, and one from USC. So probably their best or deepest position going into the year is going to be offensive line. But I don't think they, you know, all the skill positions other than that on the offensive side of the ball and all the skill positions, you know, quarterback, running back, and wide receiver are going to be question marks, and you won't find out until you get
0: in there. Yeah, I agree, man. Uh, defensively, they've got a new defensive coordinator because Gene Chizik, personal reasons, he pretty much more or less retired. Uh, I still think they're going to be better on D than they were last year. Uh, pretty much everyone is back on the defensive line except for Nazare Jones, who was a very good player. Uh, Malik Carney had eight and a half tackles for a loss. They still have Crawford and Drennan. Drennan's actually coming back from missing most of 2016 but he's a good player and then Jalen Dalton another Virginia Tech target that we fell short on he's going to factor in big time this year at defensive tackle and and could kind of have a breakout year for them linebacker I think is their best group though
1: yeah you had Holcomb with uh, 115 tackles or so last year coming in uh, at whip and um, well not coming in that's what he played and will continue to. I think 11 of the 13 on their line, defensive line that took snaps, are all coming back, and all top five of their linebackers that saw time uh, are coming back as well. So uh, the defense, I think, uh, last year wasn't Uh, well surely it was more offensive build for them last year that that ended up leading to the record that they had but I think this year they're going to have to rely on that defense especially early and I don't know how how talented that team's actually going to be
0: yeah MJ Stewart returns at corner and interestingly UNC had one interception last year in the entire season they had one interception you would have to think that will come back towards the mean a little bit Um, and Stewart is 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 a really good cover corner. He had 11 pass breakups last year, which I think was the same as Brandon Faison. Donnie Miles at safety, 102 tackles. And you mentioned Holcomb. He's a a do-it-all kind of guy. 115 total tackles, 62 solo, five tackles for loss, two sacks, five pass breakups. Holcomb impacts the game a ton. And so both of us kind of agree, like, they're going to have a shift in terms of, like, the strength of the team switching to the other side of the ball. But probably not drastically enough to get them to eight wins again. I, I wouldn't figure they get to eight wins. Um, they should get to a bowl, but it's really not going to be easy. I'm looking at their schedule. They got Cal, Louisville. They have to go to ODU, which we previewed in our last one. That's going to be kind of a tough game. They got Duke at home, at Georgia Tech, Notre Dame, at Virginia Tech, Miami, at Pitt, and NC State. I mean, that that is not an easy schedule for a team that – is going to take some time to for the offense to come together.
1: Uh, and we get them after and you know just then that schedule in general, we get them after a bye week. So that's <laughs> at Lane. So right. that gives me a pretty good amount of confidence in in
0: in us being able to pull off that game. Yeah, I expect us to kick their ass pretty good. I that's I uh I know UNC has caused us problems in the past, but As time has gone on, I feel like Bud has done a really good job defending Fedora's system. And um, with this year kind of being a rebuilding year for them, I think think we'll take care of business at home against North Carolina. That should be a beautiful weekend in Blacksburg. The end of October is just the best time to be in Blacksburg. The drive down is gorgeous, and that game, hopefully the weather should be just absolutely perfect football weather. So hopefully some of our fans will be making that place pretty rowdy. And we got – The next game at home as well and that's Duke on Saturday October 28th last year Duke had the first down year for Cutcliffe in a while they were four and eight one and seven in the ACC and they finished 72nd in the S&P Athlon has Duke at 62 in the preseason rankings Phil Steele puts them at 50 in his power pole and Lindy's has them the lowest at 87 and last in the coastal behind even UVA the projected S&P for Duke this year is 65 by Bill Connolly. And his returning production metric has them right in the middle of the pack at 48. So they've got a decent amount of stuff coming back. They had a really rough year last year with injuries. And that led to the terrible record. I mean, 1-7 in seven in the ACC is dreadful. The only team they beat, I think it was UNC, which is kind of hilarious because they were supposed to be really good last year. Um, and Duke is going to be returning a lot on offense Including the quarterback Daniel Jones. Yeah,
1: so n- not only the most experienced QB, uh, I believe, in the coastal, uh, but I think he's potentially the only returning <laughs> starter. I guess Kurt Banker at UVA could be, but yeah. they don't really count as a program right now, anyway. So <laughs> um, he had nearly you know three thousand passing yards last season, sixteen touchdowns. Uh, There's been he's actually picked up a decent amount of hype uh, and and partly because of what he did last year um, and what people saw on the field. But there's there's a lot of people that think he could have a a relatively good season. Obviously, his surrounding uh, talent is not going to not going to help him all that much. So whatever he's doing, he's going to have to do it on his on his own. But I was impressed with him last year he looked in and even though the results weren't great for for Duke but I think he's a pretty good quarterback
0: yeah and you didn't even mention the fact that he can run on you I mean he had 486 (laughs) yards rushing and another seven touchdowns on the ground so he he does it all and and he's gonna pose a big problem for us and just the typical bigger bigger white running quarterbacks always seem to give us a problem um (laughs) He currently has a streak of 173 pass attempts without interception. So he seemed to get better as the year went on because he had nine picks, but clearly it's been a while since his last one. And like you mentioned, he has more starts than any other ACC quarterback.
1: Well, in that streak, the end of their season, they went up against some tough teams at the end of last year. So that was that's even more impressive thinking back towards um, – you know, I think Bill Collin was talking about how they they kind of improved throughout the year, but the everybody else was also getting better or was also even right. better than them. So they hit a tough streak in their schedule.
0: So that's even more impressive. I hadn't heard that stat. So at running back, they have Sean Wilson coming back. He was a good player and and definitely did some damage against us last year. Six hundred and twenty three yards, four point one average, four touchdowns. Really solid player, not An overly dynamic, dangerous player, but a very good running back. Um, As for who else they've got there, they got Britton Brown and Elijah DeVoe. They're both redshirt freshmen. They're going to both play and get some carries, but we haven't seen them, nor do I think they're going to be big-time X-Factors or anything. Wide receiver, TJ Ramming's still with the team, uh, but he's more of a possession guy. He's only 5'10", 165. 70 receptions last year is a lot, but like I said, he's their, their kind of third down you know get you get your first down receiver the problem is Daniel Jones we've been talking about him but his QBR and his rating are a little bit lower than you'd expect and it's because most of his passes were short his yards per attempt was only 6.6 and that dragged down his efficiency metrics and part of that is the design I guess for Cutcliffe last year they just they didn't have the players to go out and and be thrown deep on you but uh, I'm not sure that's going to change a whole lot this year. So I'd
1: imagine it to be the same. I mean, yeah. TJ, T.J. Ramming only had, I think it was one, one, t- one touchdown. Yeah, reception. seventy receptions,
0: one touchdown. Like that's right. hard to do. <laughs>
1: that, that you almost have to design an offense to be able to do something like that. And and uh, you know, I think the characterization that most people had for it was just kind of a dink and dunk uh, offense, which gets tough because then people uh start to scheme against it and if they're not afraid of you deep then that's going to lead to a lot of problems and i'm not so sure people are going to be afraid of them deep this year um you know jones could cause a lot of headaches uh i do think that wilson's a pretty good running back. So maybe they're able to move the ball on the ground and that kind of opens things up for them. But I can't expect this team to really have that much of an improvement in, you
0: know, yards per play, uh, at least in the passing game. No, no. They do have Daniel Helm, pretty solid tight end back with the team, 21 receptions and two touchdowns last year. And their offensive line does bring three starters back. So there should be some space for Wilson and Jones to run the football. But the offensive line isn't going to be overly good. And we got to see who steps up at wide receiver to see if they can they can uh put some more points on the board this year. I do think I do think that the offense is going to be better than their defense, though. Because the defense is not looking too good. Yeah, I came up with like Ben Humphreys
1: is a kind of he's a pretty solid linebacker. He had four and a half sacks, but after that it gets pretty thin and i think their secondary is going to be garbage so um they could really struggle in the you know in pass
0: defense this oh, yes. year <laughs> i saw um, they were 105th in the nation in yards per play last year and they lost four key defensive backs going into this year they lost Devon Edwards, who was really good, DeAndre Singleton, Corbin McCarthy, who I think might have been their leading tackler, and Breon Borders, who led the team in pass breakups. All four of those guys are gone. They also lost their best defensive tackle in A.J. Wolf. So, yeah, you mentioned Humphreys is a really, really good linebacker. Giles Harris, also a good linebacker. Uh, They both were around 10 tackles for loss last year and four sacks. And the linebackers are going to be the heart and soul of this D. They play a 4-2-5, so they can only impact the team so so much I mean they only got one returning starter on the defensive line in Ramsey um but they do have a lot of guys that played just they weren't starters on the defensive line and they're going to be susceptible in the back in the the back end of their defense like you said so they have big question marks on the defensive side of the ball it could be it could be much worse maybe than last year the 105 yards per play that that could actually get worse
1: well, and so their out-of-conference includes Northwestern, which I think they played North, Northwestern. Northwestern played somebody in the ACC last year. And yeah, it they might played, have been. I'm they, pretty sure they, they played, played them last year. Yeah, I think that's home and home. They have Baylor, and then they have an FSU crossover. They are staring down the barrel of what's not going to be a very fun fun season for them yeah. whatsoever. The problem is, is that... They, they always seem to, you know, get wins here and there in, in strange places, yeah. and they're going to have to make that happen again this season to even have a respectable record, like not even like a good, but just like, dang, you know, not going, you know, over. So they're going to have to pick it up against some good teams. So it's just what week are they going to get motivated and are things going to come together, and hopefully it's not, you know, when they're
0: heading into Lane Stadium. Phil Steele has them as the 22nd toughest schedule in the nation so it it is tough and you mentioned Baylor but they also have the crossover game with FSU so yeah they got NC Central, Wake, UVA, Army those are winnable but getting two more with the Coastal and with you know Northwestern and Baylor and FSU on the schedule it's it's not going to be easy for them to make a bowl. they pretty much would have to go four and four in the ACC to get to one so Health is going to be key for them. They're not particularly deep at any position. If they were to lose Jones or one of those linebackers, it could just turn real, real ugly. Uh, and I also want to say before they play us, they have seven straight weeks of Power 5 opponents. Their bye is the week after us. So literally it's Northwestern, Baylor, UNC, Miami, UVA, FSU, Pitt, and then us all in a row, like no, no bye week. So it's a true gauntlet. Um, I'm not sure anyone ever like seven power five opponents in seven weeks. I, not many teams have to do that.
1: That's brutal. Uh,
0: yeah, that's I must brutal. Feel, I almost feel bad. <laughs> <laughs> I would say we get this W at home by at least 10 points. Uh, if Jones is having an incredible season and they get real big contributions from new receiving targets, then I could revise that. I know they're gonna play us tough, so I do think it could still be a ten point game. Like Cutcliffe gets the most out of his guys and they played a lot of close games last year. They, they didn't have a good record, but it could have been one or two games better real easily. Um so it's gonna be it's gonna to be tough. Duke is just they're a tough team to play now. That's just the way it is. Cutcliffe has has them that way. It's just that right now, this year, with what they have coming back, it's just not favorable for them to to have a uh, a step forward after last year, if anything, it'd be a sidestep. Probably, that's right. I think I need to do a beer break. We have four teams left, but I'm running out of this first beer that I'm drinking, and it's really really good. I am having the Going Coastal, fitting because we're playing we're we're previewing all coastal teams today. It's an IPA with pineapple from Sweetwater Brewing Company out of Atlanta, Georgia, and. I had a pineapple IPA in our last episode in the uh, in the Pinehopple, um, and this one is significantly better. I haven't had a ton of Sweetwater beers, but I feel like whenever I do, they're usually pretty good. And this Going Coastal, it's really it's it's better. It's got more pineapple flavor. Perfect for summertime. It's currently hot as crap in both DC and Philly right now, <laughs> so I needed to get something a little bit more refreshing. Um, and this is a nice alternative to a shandy because it's only six point one percent alcohol, and but it tastes like really it still has kind of a sweeter taste like a shandy would. So I would highly recommend the Going Coastal by Sweetwater. Robbie, what are you having? So I went the opposite direction, and somehow
1: this ended up on shelves at the local liquor liquor store in the middle of summer. But uh, Trogues out of uh, Hershey, Pennsylvania, I believe, um, put out. A double IPA right in the heat of of Virginia <laughs> summer. It's a once a year that they do. It's called the Nimble Giant. Uh, some people might be familiar with it. Trogues is a great. They have perpetual and they they make terrific IPAs. And, they really do. Yeah, and this is fantastic. It's not as good as the next beer that I'm going to have and review at the end of the podcast. Which is pretty unique, and it's not an IPA; it's actually a wheat. But I would say this is probably, in terms of doubles, that I would drink. If they did this year round, I, would, you know, I would say it's probably better than, you know, eighty percent of the the doubles that I drink. It's a wow. really smooth, fantastic uh, double IPA. The
0: Nimble Giant, I think you said. That's right. Yeah, coming up to my neck of the woods in those Pennsylvania beers, Trog's really is good. I really love their wintertime stuff. They do a bunch of, like, I think one's called the Blizzard of Hops. Pretty sure they're the Mad Elf people, yep. uh, which is always a heavy one, but it sneaks up on you because it tastes really good.
1: Yeah, this one's, uh, you know, a solid uh, 9% beer. There you <laughs> in the, go. In the middle of uh, of hot weather, can be a little challenging for most. <laughs>
0: So the next game on our schedule is the Miami game. And this year we have to go down to Miami. It's on Saturday, November fourth. And they were nine and four last year. They had a bad stretch, including the game against us. It was uh pretty awesome. I think both Fantastic. You, and, you and I were there, but they had won their first four games and they won their last five games, and they finished in the S P at number fourteen. Really impressive. And one of the reasons that they're getting so hyped this year is because of that strong finish. They they beat up on West Virginia pretty damn good in their bowl game, um, our opening week opponent, obviously. So, I mean, that's at least a little encouraging uh, looking at it from that aspect that if we are comparable to Miami, we'll stand a chance against WVU. But it also leads me to believe that Miami's going to be really good this year. And although they're still searching for a quarterback, that defense is going to be it, just as good as ours if not better
1: yeah it's tough because we're all so tired of hearing the miami is back with a k and no c as the running <laughs> joke <clears throat> because it happens so often they've never even won the coastal but it is mark Richt, so it's you know there's a lot to be fearful of what he can do with the type of talent that they're recruiting if you look no further than what their recruiting rankings are right now and they are they're pulling in really really solid talent i think they have a lot of talent on there every year and just didn't use it appropriately in the past uh it is annoying but i think this is a year that it if they if they live up to half the kind of um, or play to half of what they could from a talent perspective, from the number of four stars and even five stars that they have on 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 the field, that they could be a really scary team. Obviously, Brad Kaya coming um, out and leaving uh, was not you know it was expected. I think it was much more expected than our situation, but we'll have to see. Um, what ends up happening under center? Because I think that's going to dictate a lot of what Miami's able to achieve this year. I think they have a tremendous amount of upside if their QB position uh, really comes together.
0: Yeah, and it's it's a big question mark. I mean, everyone is predicting them to win the Coastal, whether it's Lindy's or Athlon or Phil Steele. They're all predicting them to win the Coastal. And, you know, they're not bringing back that much. They lost not just Kaya, but... Stacey Coley, David Noku, Yearby on defense. They lost Jamal Carter, Rayshawn Jenkins, Corn Elder. These are all names we've heard for years. These are really good players. And back to the QB thing, it's like a five-way battle right now for who's going to win that QB spot. They are really unsure and so unsure to the point that a lot of the articles I was looking at was saying, like, they're waiting on this four-star that's coming in in a couple weeks. Like, he's the guy who they think might be their starter isn't even on campus yet. It's kind of hilarious that we're seeing so much high praise. And, yeah, their defense is going to be good, but if you don't have a quarterback, you got nothing, you know? you I, <laughs> the, yep. the guy right now I think is uh Sharif's. That's there's no clear cut favorite, but Malik Rozier is the only guy with a game experience, and oh. then sophomore Evan Sharif's is, and I'm probably messing that up, is the guy who in spring seemed like he was the number one guy, uh, but and there's
1: per- Perry's the freshman that's coming in. I think that yeah. they
0: think could be pr-
1: productive by the end, of, you know, middle the end of the season.
0: Yeah, Jack Allison, Cade Weldon, I also saw uh, walk-on Vinny Testaverde Jr., the son of the famous Vinny Testaverde, is also in the mix, but probably not really. It's really probably going to come down to Rosier, Sharifs, and this kid, and cosa Perry. It's N-apostrophe-Cosi-Perry.
1: <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but, that's
0: right. Okay. Um, but we'll see. I mean, like I said, if you're if you're so unsure – that you're waiting for a guy who's enrolling in August that is bad news to me that that I'm trying to I'm reading tea leaves here but that that's doesn't seem good to me um yes Here's, they have, here, go ahead the
1: one thing that I think is interesting is I think Mark Walton is really talented and he's and he's going to be behind four returning offensive yeah. linemen three seniors and one junior, which you don't see that very often. That's a tenured offensive line. They can, during the beginning of the season, use that. I think they're going to use the run game as a crutch to try and build some depth under QB. And then when they do start to get it together... Um, Amon Richard's is a terrific safety net for for what an inexperienced quarterback early in the season and then they're probably going to develop some depth. So, yeah. I agree if it, the the QB question for them is very suspect and we're not going to know what it looks like until we get into the season. Um, but I mean to transition, their defense scares the hell out yeah. of me. I mean, it is good like there's not there's not a question mark like you go into every season thinking oh you know things could go the wrong way there's no doubt that their defense is going to be really
0: good and it's because it's not only that the starters are good but they're they're deep at a bunch of positions um the front seven in general is just going to be dirty they last year they hired the Missouri defensive line coach Craig Kuligowski. and mm-hmm. if you remember Missouri was Oddly, they went to the SEC title game that one year, but they had a ton of defensive line talent in that program. That guy can straight coach defensive line, and this Miami team has a lot of talent that he can work with. Chad Thomas is the leader of that at defensive end on the defensive line. You've got Joe Jackson, who had eight and a half sacks last year. Kendrick Norton in the middle, along with R.J. McIntosh. Whole front four are back, uh, all, as well as top backups, Trent Harris and Demetrius Jackson. And Miami is one of those teams that we got lucky against because I'm pretty sure Chad Thomas hardly played. Demetrius Jackson got injured the week before against Pitt, against Georgia Tech, against Miami. We got lucky because we got them right after a bunch of injuries. or And, and Duke, too. I mean, you could go down the line. We played a lot of injury-maligned teams last year, which helped us out quite a bit. And Miami is a classic example of that because once they got healthy – Later in the year, they freaking turned it on big time. So back to their front seven, though. The linebackers are all back, too. You got Quarterman, uh, Michael Pickney, Zach McLeod, all returning starters. They were true freshmen last year. All three are back now, and they're not super deep behind them in particular, but those three are very good, and probably, like Quarterman especially, at middle linebacker, he's going to be a stud.
1: Well, and if you think back to last season, we were playing, as good as those guys are, we were playing against three true freshman linebackers. And I think I read that that was the only team in the country that, that, that played three true freshmen at linebacker last season. So it was a rarity, and, I mean, damn, if those guys were scary, you know, Last year and pretty decent and they're gonna be scary this year. I can't imagine what they're gonna be like next yeah. year, not to get ahead of ourselves. And the line is frightening with Chad Thomas and Joe Jackson to and combine twenty two and a half tackles for a loss and twelve and a half sacks. And then their tackles had another nineteen and a half tackles for a loss and four and a half sacks last season. Yeah, the, it's a it's a scary group. Yeah. I don't think people are gonna be running on this team. A whole bunch
0: that's that's not really in the cards eighth nationally in tackles for loss as a team miami was and i kind of expect that to go up like they should probably top, be top five in tackles for loss this year they're going to be taking a lot of guys down behind a line, line of scrimmage um the one thing we have going in our favor their defensive backs pretty much got decimated it's the worst position on their team besides quarterback just because that's an unknown. There's no returning starters in the back. They got, they did get an All-American transfer from an FCS team, Citadel, uh, who's going to play, I think, DB for them, uh, and D. Delaney. And Jaquan Johnson, he's a solid safety. Uh, he's coming back too, but there's a bunch of unproven guys behind those two. And even them, I mean, it's a whole new meshing together. It's going to take a little time, I would imagine. So this D is going to be dominant, and they're going to make a lot of big plays. But I think they're going to give up a lot of big plays too, especially early in the year. Uh, hopefully they don't have it all figured out by the time we play. But, yeah, it's this Miami defense, it's it's a top 10 unit probably nationally. It's It's really, really good.
1: Yeah, I think they would have to work pretty hard not to end up top 10. <laughs> yeah. You would have to you would have to see some not an injury here, injury there. You would have to see them start to pile up for that not to be the case or for everybody to be reading the tea leaves on what people should be, you know, what year over year development should look
0: like for these players. You know, people would have to be way off. Yeah. So overall, I think this is probably the best team on our schedule other than Clemson, and maybe they might be just as good as Clemson. I don't know. I mean, and Clemson's got the question marks on offense, too, in terms of quarterback and wide receivers. Uh, and injuries on the offensive side of the ball for Miami could kind of derail this team. I mean, yes, Richards is a stud. He broke Michael Irvin's 31-year-old record for most yards in a season by a first-year hurricane. Mark Walton went over 1,000 yards, 14 touchdowns. But if one of those guys goes down, it changes the whole dynamic of the team. The offensive line being so good, yeah, they're going to be able to run the football. And, and you said it perfectly. They're going to use it as a crutch early in the season, get their quarterback going, and maybe you know start to get better as it goes along there. But I do think offensive injuries could derail this team. Uh, against the run, this is just some stuff I wrote down. Their defense is going to be really tough, particularly against the run. But our matchup, if both of the teams stay healthy, it's going to be a bloodbath because the the defenses are both going to be so good, and it's going to come down to who got their quarterback up to speed better because we're both in the same boat.
1: And we have, and to take that full circle, I think it's going to be low scoring, but if if they get their quarterback up to speed, our defensive backs – and have gone up against really good quarterback play, especially last year, and they all return, theirs are, they lost everybody, right? right? So yeah. the, the advantage for us and the key to this game is whether or not we get our quarterback up to snuff and find some wide receiver talent to, to put around them. That could be the game changer. Otherwise, if that, if that doesn't happen, this game's going Miami's direction in my mind.
0: Yeah, it's it's really a coin flip. I, I struggle. I don't you know, there's no point in me calling it a winner or a loss right now. I think it's going to be insanely close. We kind of don't play very well down in Miami. uh. So that has me leaning towards the L. But I just want this to be a big game when it's approaching. Like Miami clearly has FSU early in the season. They always do. But there's a chance they could be seven and one coming into this game. I think they're going to lose to FSU. You never know, but I think they'll probably lose. Right. So and they might drop another one. But say they're seven and one, and we could be seven and one, six and two. Like who knows? I just want it to be a big game because the Miami Virginia Tech rivalry was so good and so hotly contested for a while. Uh, I just I'm not rooting for Miami to be good, but in a way, I, I kind of want it to be that way, just because. It's better for the coastal. It's better for the ACC if th- there's no marquee rivalry in the coastal, and that should be it.
1: hundred percent agree. I mean, it's a balancing act. That and listen, i i listen to a ton of podcasts, a ton of you know college sports radio, and on Sirius XM, and. Basically, all you hear about now is it's Clemson and Florida State that are the only reason that the ACC is back, and who's it going to be that's going to kind of continue to elevate? It's going to be, you know, there's plenty of talk about Lamar Jackson, but there's not a lot of talk about them as a team, quite frankly, and being competitive on the national level, even though I think they should be. And then it goes right to Miami. And I think that I sit in a corner and I'm like, man, like how we won 10 games last year. What the hell is going on? But somehow in in a weird way, if Miami elevates,
0: it elevates Virginia Tech too. It does. No, I, I fully agree with you. Let's move on to Georgia Tech. It's Saturday, November 11th, and we have to go to Atlanta this year. Somehow, someway, Georgia Tech finished nine nine and four last year, uh, four and four in the Coastal, forty five in the final S and P ranking. Uh, am I do I have that right? They were nine and four last year. Is that did
1: I didn't <laughs> even look up their schedule. And I'm about to grab my uh, my Phil Steele uh, my <laughs> Phil Steel preview right now. I, but, I don't know. If, I, I'm going to flip over. You keep going. And yeah, I'll, yeah. Uh,
0: so. This year, Athlon has them at 36th in the preseason. Phil Steele put them at 41 in his power pole. Lindy's has them the highest at 27, and their projected S&P is 31. They're returning a decent amount of their production, according to Bill Connolly, but Phil Steele only has them at 65th in terms of returning experience. There's a little bit of a discrepancy there because Phil Steele, he calculates his returning experience differently than Connolly does, but... They're bringing a decent amount back, especially offensively. They won their last four games of the season and six of their last seven, including wins over us and Georgia. Justin Thomas, finally gone. That's a very, very good thing. He was one of the better passers Georgia Tech has had throughout this uh, triple option run. The only problem with that was Matthew Jordan, the guy who replaced Thomas in the game against us, actually beat us. So uh, he's going to be back, and he looks like he's probably the guy that's going to start for Georgia Tech this year. He's 6'2", 208, and if you remember, he broke off a long run and had 121 yards rushing against us last year and six TDs overall. And I think he, he didn't play every game. He would come in and spot duty and do some short yardage stuff for them. I think that's why he had that many touchdowns. But he really didn't play that much or that many significant snaps outside of the game against us. Taquan Marshall will probably push him. Marshall has blazing speed. He started as an A-back and transitioned to quarterback, but it's probably going to be Jordan's job to lose because he does have more experience, um, though he did only throw nine passes last year.
1: Yeah, I think the the A-back and the B-back positions are – I think there's a lot of skill there, honestly. that's That's probably – I mean, who, who knows what's in replacing Justin Thomas, who I, I don't, I wouldn't consider him in the triple option offense as a world beater, but he fit that system really, really well. Um, and we'll see what ends up happening and, and and how things shake out under center. But I think the A back and the B back positions are in pretty good hands and their offensive line last year was really, was really young. So I think they're going to take a big step forward and aid, What's the bread and butter of the running game? Because Paul Johnson, you know, Georgia Tech leads rushing almost every single year in the nation, obviously, given what they have. And last year was a pretty off year in terms of production on that side of the ball. So I think that offensive line had a lot to do with that. And you give those folks another year. um, And I think that's going to be, I think that's going to be pretty, uh, a pretty big step forward. I think another person um, that I would, you know, I think I don't know if you mentioned it, Dietrich Mills. uh, It's five ten, but he's like two hundred and ten pounds, which makes him just a wrecking ball of a human being to be that short and have that much muscle mass on him. There, there's, there's a lot going on for this team. I think in in general, and I can't believe thinking back on last year. You know they outperformed in what I would have thought. I mean, when you said their record, which is accurate, I couldn't couldn't believe that. And I think there was a lot of improvement throughout the year. The real question is
0: what's going to happen now that Justin Thomas is gone. Yeah, Dedrick Mills is a stud. I mean, you you're right, and I have him. I saw him at two seventeen, and apparently he has the biggest thing with him is Paul Johnson wants him to slim down. Like, they, they want him to be even faster and stronger this year. So he had 771 yards, 12 touchdowns, and he only played nine games. So that if extrapolate that out. That's over 1,000 and like, 16 or 17 touchdowns in a full season. Great size and speed. A lot of A-backs back, including, like, the wide receiver running back hybrid of Clinton Lynch, who not only ran for a bunch of yards, 415 to be exact, he caught – uh, what do I have here? 490 yards receiving and a 30.6 average. 30.6. Every time he, he only had 16 receptions, but he scored <laughs> six touchdowns. So every time he <laughs> caught one, it, like it went to the house. Um, eight total touchdowns, including his rushing and receiving. And then at wide receiver, they get Ricky June and Brad Stewart back. All top four wide receivers are back, including Clinton Lynch and Quay Searcy, another A back. They're deep. They're, their skill positions are... Pretty deep, especially when you consider like they don't even need that many wide receivers at Georgia Tech. Um, they're they've got more than enough, and Dietrich Mills is uh, a lot of people say he's one of the best running backs that Paul Johnson's had. He just ha- he was just a freshman last year. He's only gonna get better, so uh, that makes yeah. me a little bit nervous because that offensive line, like you mentioned, it got better as the season went along. And although they don't have a lot of starts, they're gonna be pretty pretty good this year. Yeah, I do think their defense is going to be pretty good too, and that's been the problem for Georgia Tech. I feel like they they just can't seem to get one foot in front of the other on defense. And they're losing some guys. The loss of Patrick Gamble's big. Uh, he had, I think, last year they only had 18 sacks and seven and a half were Gamble. So <laughs> they've got they've got to find a way to rush the passer this year. That's going to be something that that they need to work on. But the back seven is is very strong that's that's what i was seeing from the guys that are coming back
1: yeah linebacker and secondary looks it just it looks looks be experienced but also talented and then you have uh probably our only other brother brother combo that we're going to be up against um in the two austin uh brothers they each had three interceptions last year uh they remind uh remind me of less talented of course I have to say Edmunds brothers so that that'll be interesting <laughs> as as well but I think it, yeah it's gonna be what's up front for them that's gonna you know make make or break games on that side of the ball because I think the uh, the, the seven are in the back are going to be pretty good this year or at least more tenured and experience and know where yeah. they should be and what they should be um,
0: covering strong safety Corey Griffin is one of the keys to their defense. He's the leading tackler last year and had 62 solo tackles. And I know a lot of people probably don't keep track of that, but that's a lot. That is a lot of tackles in the open field. He's a really good player. Two interceptions for him. And the two Austin twins, they're, they're twins, not just brothers, twins. Mm. Um, They're really good. Lance Austin had 12 pass breakups, one of the highest numbers in the country. So <laughs> they're they're real good. Overall, their defense should be – Slightly better than last year. Not much better, but better. And if they can get any kind of pass rush, they could take a big step forward. That They need someone athletic on the end to get after the passer because they just they could not do it last year. Yep. Uh, and one note on special teams, they lost their kicker, Butker, who was actually a really good kicker. So that could be the difference in a game, which I think is going to be pretty close. Uh, they're going to compete for the Coastal. I mean, if you're taking a big picture... I mean, it's a three-team race, in my personal opinion. It's us, it's Miami, and it's Georgia Tech. Pitt, North Carolina, obviously Duke and uh, UVA bringing up the rear. But it's a three-team race. And Georgia Tech, if if Jordan can pass just, I don't know, 45%, they're going to be dangerous as shit.
1: Yeah, I agree. The only thing that's nice is that, um, you know, if, if – well, I guess it, it just depends. So it's at uh, Georgia Tech, so we're going to have to get up and you're, you're going to have to get the team motivated. The game's always a fist fight and every single year, it seems like. Um, if we can't run the ball, we're going to find ourselves in a really bad spot here. Um, that's, that's not going <laughs> to bode well for us. And we're coming in after really what's going to be a slogged-out Miami game that's a little bit concerning as, as well is, is just, you know, having gone up against what was a really good defense, how banged up is the offense and and how well are we able to just, you know, regroup, get people healthy and then get back out there the next week.
0: Yeah, it's hard. The schedule, this is the most brutal part of our schedule because we have to go to Miami, come back to Blacksburg and immediately go to Atlanta. That is not easy on the kids. And like you said, they're going to be so hyped up for that Miami game, coming down off it, win or lose, and then having to put yourself through the triple option, uh, it's its not good. It's really, it's not a good situation. Um I thought it was funny. Athlon does their,
1: you know, uh, unanimous uh, quotes from coaches, and one of the opposing assistant coaches, they never say who it is, obviously, because... Um, the anonymity that needs to be in place said that they push the edge of the rules which most people know what that means in terms of their blocking scheme and what they do and cut blocks I thought that was interesting hearing that other coaches even if it's just one on other teams get as annoyed as I do about their cut blocking and what it could do to you know some kid's career if if it's not done correctly or if you know you it's an accidental you know slip up and you take out some kid's knee.
0: Yes, I think I saw that same thing. it was uh it's something that we're well aware of let's let's say that. <laughs> we talked we're, about it for a long time we're We're well aware of uh, the key play puts it chop block a clock. Uh, <laughs> I did notice that Georgia Tech has the ninth toughest schedule, according to Phil Steele. They have to play Tennessee Week One, which should be a really good game and really good for the ACC if Georgia Tech can pull off that win against Tennessee. It's in New Orleans too. That's going to be fun. Uh, at Clemson, at Miami, us and Georgia. So it's a it's a tough schedule. They virtually have the same ACC schedule as us since since we both play Clemson. They play Wake, we play BC. Every other game's the same. So. It's going to be very fair in terms of what we're playing. And the fact that we have to play the two teams that I feel like we're competing with for the Coastal title, both on the road, both in back-to-back weeks, puts us at the most, the biggest disadvantage. I don't want to give Georgia Tech too much credit because they haven't proven over the last few years that they have any kind of real decent defense. And we know what they can do on offense, but we should be able to put up points on them. Last year's game sucked. Like, it just sucked. And we were coming back on them at the end. But that was a classic, like, you just weren't ready to freaking play that day. I don't know what happened to us against Georgia Tech last year, but it wasn't pretty. And you would expect, because of that, Fuente will have them more focused this year going into that game.
1: Uh, yeah, I I don't think the locker room conversation is going to be uh, all that patting on the butt. It's going to be a lot more, look what you guys did last year. So get ready for what's about to happen here.
0: <laughs> that that practice week is going to suck. Yeah, it is. <laughs> and I think it's going to be about a field goal game either way. I know I've said that a bunch about a handful of our games, but it's just true. I mean, it's like you said, it's a fist fight. Uh, it's it's a rock fight. It's whatever you want to call it. It's going to be ugly, and it and again, this one could be low scoring too. Bud has a pretty good sense for GT after all these years. He, him and Paul Johnson, what they do to each other during these games, it's it's like a thing of beauty, really. Like because Johnson is so good at adjusting, and Bud is so good at adjusting, and the second halves are always so interesting. To what if you're an X and O guy, like it's so fascinating. Um it's gonna be a it's gonna be a good one, and I I really hope we win. I really really hope we win because we're gonna need every one if we're gonna win the Coastal this year. Next up is Pittsburgh. This is the latest we've played Pittsburgh in the season, in a while. Saturday, November eighteenth, the week before Thanksgiving, the week before UVA. Last year, Pitt was eight and five, five and three in the ACC, and you might know that they beat. Both the Big Ten champ and the national champ in Penn State and Clemson. Or you only- don't read or you don't read Reddit
1: or anywhere else that <laughs> Pitt fans <laughs> post right. because you would definitely know
0: that. <laughs> they finished 20th in the SNP, and Athlon has them coming in at 31 in the preseason. Phil Steele has them a little bit lower at 45. Lindy's right in the middle at 34. And the projected SP is 32. So people think they're gonna be, you know. Pretty much a top-35 team consensus, and I don't think so at all. Their returning production is 123rd, according to Bill Connolly and Phil Steele. Both of them have them exactly at 123 in the overall returning experience. That's not good. That's seven spots from the bottom. So only four starters back on defense, the loss of their offensive coordinator, Matt Canada, the loss of, more importantly and most importantly, James Conner. That's that's the most pleasing thing I I think that's that's happened in any of these previews is that we don't have to face James Conner anymore. Yeah,
1: and hopefully Pat Narduzzi won't be such of a whiny little bitch this year. That's the that's the real the real goal. He's one of the our fan base's new favorite coaches, I believe. Uh, yeah, I for think. Real. <laughs> I, another ACC team, another new quarterback. This time, I think it's pretty set that it's going to be the grad transfer Max Brown came out of USC he was a five star and Big interesting boy. yeah and the interesting part is I think in retrospect we gave Nathan Peterman a lot of grief but he was relatively productive you know as a as a quarterback and I think he his stats overall while he was there were 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 pretty good so I think there's some shoes to fill quite frankly, in being productive, especially when you wrap around it. Um, what Matt Canada is now gone, which isn't great. James Connor, who was a beast. I don't, watching film of him was unbelievable the way that he could push through defensive lines and make stuff something out of nothing. I think there's a there's a lot that needs to happen on the offensive side of the ball for them positively to, to make it possible for, um, you know, them to make up for the, those two losses in particular.
0: Yeah. I They're huge. Peterman and, and Connor are huge losses and, and Max Brown. He's got the pedigree. Like you said, he was a five star, all everything. And was the USC starter going into last year. He completed 62% of his passes, only 93 attempts, but decent completion percentage, two TDs, two INT and limited, uh, play not a runner at all so a little bit of a hard guy to take down the fact that he's 6'5 220 but he's never shown that he lived up to his high school rankings so maybe they get that out of him with a new offensive coordinator but that's not an easy situation to have all these new faces and then you know create as efficient an offense as they had last year under peterman and running back, it's it's just as big a shoes to fill. I mean, Quadre Oleson, we remember him from two years ago. He was the 2015 ACC Offensive Rookie of the Year. He had to fill in when James Conner went down in the first week with a meniscus or an ACL or something, and then they found the cancer. So he had a full season of being the man, and he's really good. Big back, 6'2", 230, one of the biggest running backs we'll face, and over 1,000 yards two years ago. So it's it's he can be a problem i I know connor is is one of a kind but this kid olison can play and then you also have Quadri henderson who's back the wide receiver slash kick returner who also was like a sweep guy they use him in all kinds of different situations we did a good job last year hemming him in particularly tremaine hemming him in on a bunch of plays that's right <laughs> uh, um, that was a, a key to victory honestly because that game was a shootout and if henderson had had any more of an impact it would have been a problem cuz he's a great kick returner but he rushed for 631 yards but he also received and like he had a ton of receptions and receiving yards as well he was all over i mean yeah. he had five rush
1: tds one receiving td and four return touchdowns it's unbelievable he's all over the place and then on the the quadries but on Olesen, yeah, so many quadries <laughs> And they're they're spelled differently by two letter one letter. Uh, the they did have two all all-ACC offensive linemen that are now gone. And I think they get back um a little bit of experience. But anytime you're losing that, that's that's never all that helpful on obviously that side of the ball. So they have a little bit to make up on on that. And then Jester Wee, um, I think he that guy's gonna be what they've been lacking um a little bit and I think lacked which is kind of the true wide receiving threat not just the versatile you know wide receiver in in the yeah. offense
0: deep threat deep threat 24.2 yeah. average per catch last year 10 touchdowns 870 yards uh second nationally in receiving average he's he was really good and he's really fast and him in combination with Henderson They need some other guys to step up, but it's going to be a decent receiving core. They lost Orndoff, which is good. Uh, He only had two catches against us, but one was like 71 yards and went like all the way down the field. (laughs) Uh, But they got this guy, Chris Clark, and if you follow recruiting, Chris Clark was a stud tight end who flipped his commitment from UNC to Michigan, and then he picked UCLA at the last minute played one game for UCLA or something, and then decided to transfer to Pitt. So he sat out last year, and now he's ready to contribute. And this kid Clark could be a difference maker and the safety valve for Brown. And it's someone I am most concerned with, really. I mean, obviously, Jester Way is the number one concern on offense, and Olison's a very good running back. This kid, Chris Clark, he's going to have a big season for Pitt, I would imagine. Um And you mentioned the O-line already. They're bringing back some decent production. They did lose Dorian Johnson, thank God. But uh, they only allowed, what is it, like one-third nationally in sacks per game last year. So they protected their quarterback really well, and a bunch of those guys are back. That could be another thing that could help Brown's development a little bit. They're going to run the ball well, without a doubt. Pitt kind of has been known for that now for over a decade. Uh, And if Brown is good... I mean, we're looking at a good offense. I just have my doubts whether he's going to be able to ever, like, be legit. I don't know. That's the only way I can put it. Well, and their defense sucked last year. (laughs) Two spots from the bottom against the pass.
1: Yeah. So, I mean, that's what this game really comes down to is I don't foresee. We talked last year, I believe, about Jordan Whitehead and how he's pretty good. Yeah. Um, and is really kind of a stud. Maddox uh, had a nice 2016. The rest of their defense sucked ass. So uh, that's and I, you know, unless they recruited somebody or many people that we don't know about, I think that's where they're going to come up a little bit short on, in this particular game and just the season in general. Because, yeah, I don't think it was an an experience issue. You don't finish. You know, plus one hundred in the country in any ranking, and then the next year it just you know magically jumps by fifty spots. It, it was a serious problem for them. Wasn't then,
0: uh, Narduzzi a defensive coach? I'm trying to remember. <laughs> that,
1: that's that's what I thought. Which was I, well, everybody was so astounded trying to figure out what the hell was going on with
0: them, and it was it was ugly. And. I mean, without bad, they were on defense last year. They lost two of their best players in Bradley and Caprara at linebacker. I mean, yes, Whitehead is back. They have high hopes for this defensive end, Dwayne Hendricks, who's like you know, 6'4 and 260, and he's going to be a killer on the defensive end. He's a transfer from Tennessee, uh, creating a lot of buzz. Rory Blair, defensive end, is good. But, I mean, it's – I just – why would it all of a sudden, like you said, be better than it was last year? I mean, Narduzzi. It was it Narduzzi's first season last year. or Was that two years ago? I'm trying to remember.
1: Uh, two. It had to be two years ago. I'm guessing. I f- yeah, I feel like it it's his
0: Narduzzi, Narduzzi. It's his third year. So, yeah. Why all of a sudden now would it jump when you've been decimated by losses like of of players? I, I so yeah. They have four I- returning starters based on
1: Phil Steele on the defensive side of the ball. So it was already trash. And then yeah. you just lost it. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it, it, it's probably going to be really bad.
0: It's, yeah, I can't imagine it's going to be very good at all. I, uh, it's, it's funny how, you know, you look at where Narducci came from at Michigan State, and now Mike D'Antonio is struggling mightily. I mean, Michigan State's having trouble fielding a team right now for this upcoming season. Like, they're probably, there won't, likely finish last in their division because I think Rutgers is in their division but they're not going to be good and I guess that marriage when it broke up with Narduzzi and Antonio like shit just hit the fan I don't know
1: I yeah, mean they Pitt, could yeah. Not to get into the Michigan State stuff, but they're screwed. They're they're in big, big trouble.
0: And and Pitt, like, obviously were making it sound a little they were eight and five. They beat two really good teams, but that was all offensive. Like that's not Narduzzi's thing. You know, that was Matt Canada and and some great players. Uh in, in Connor and Peterman. Uh at least Connor was great and Peterman was efficient.
1: I think Pitt honestly could have a absolutely disastrous year because the the loss of Peterman, and the loss of Connor, the loss of their offensive coordinator. Who I know Athlon Sports and some guys like to make fun of Matt Canada, but he was he's per, he's pretty damn good. At least inventive and and knew how to use those guys yeah. effectively to win games. Uh, that's that is a huge amount of turnover on a defense that's not very good they could have a really bad year
0: yeah they could it could it could be okay and you know they could go seven and five in the regular season or something like that but it could it could come off the tracks um injuries particularly could make it come off the tracks they we don't play them until the second to last game so weathering an entire season with how thin they are at a lot of positions they could be up a creek by the time we play them on November eighteenth. The offense needs to gel quickly, or they just won't be able to keep the team in games. And there's a good chance that they start out one in three because they play Youngstown State, Penn State, Oklahoma State, and then at Georgia Tech. That's that's not a good start to the season. So say, I mean, Penn State, OK State, and at GT with a team with this many questions, I would. I would bet money they start one and three. And then (laughs) they play Rice at Syracuse, never easy. And Syracuse brings back a bunch of guys. NC State's going to be better at Duke. I mean, Duke's, you know, his questions too, but like, I don't know, man. It doesn't look good for them. (laughs) Uh, The only thing I could think
1: about when you just went through that is do we get to see the faux Palin? Uh, go at it against against pitt and get to, yeah yeah <laughs> he's bo gonna pelini. be that's gonna be that's gonna be awesome like, twitter's gonna be lit with all the fake photo palin
0: twi- tweets but you're trying to say <laughs> bo pelini is what you're trying to say
1: <laughs> no the fake bo pelini
0: right Faux pelini right at exactly. Faux pelini yeah okay i got you gotcha, i got gotcha. you yeah no um, i don't care
1: about actual pelini. the <laughs> phobic pelini is but the but
0: so wasn't youngstown state they just played JMU in the National Title Game last year. I like, know. That's why. So like so they're exciting. a good team. Like that could be a that could be a tough game for Pitt too. That's exactly right. It's going to be the best week. In 2012, Youngstown State beat Pitt right before we played them and then we subsequently <laughs> lost. That yeah. was the beginning of the end for uh for Beamer right there. Anyway, with this game at home for us, I feel comfortable about a win, long story short.
1: I agree. I don't want to spend a lot of time on UVA. Okay, I Uh, know,
0: I know. We just got to get through it. (laughs) Uh, Last year, I wrote
1: down down four players that I think people should care about, and that's pretty much it. Until
0: Mendenhall proves that this isn't a joke of a team. (laughs) Fair enough, because they were two and ten last year, one and seven in the ACC. They beat Duke in an upset, and they finished eighty eighth in the S and P, one of the lower of the Power Five teams. Athlon has them at 87 coming into the year, 81 by Phil Steele, 85 by Lindy's, higher than Duke, notably. Lindy's is the only team, only magazine that has them not last in the Coastal. And their projected S&P for this year by Bill Connolly is 70. So that's actually not that bad. It's a Um, lot higher than I would have expected. Kurt Benkert, the stalwart. The ECU transfer back again to start for them after getting benched against us last year. I expect big things from Kurt. It's he's gonna have just a real breakout season. <laughs> did you do you notice
1: who their top wide receiver is that I mentioned last year? He's got a weird last name. Yeah, he's it's it's your cousin. Your distant yeah, cousin, yeah. Evidently, I can't I can't believe that. Um, Donnie. What's more amazing is that they. Yeah, that's more amazing is that they have. Andrew, they have like two amazing defensive players in the ACC, and they still are as bad as they are. And I know. it's incredible. And it's really three because I think Andrew Brown's pretty good at defensive end. Then you yeah. have Kaiser and you got Blit. It, 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 what are they doing? It's, you know, oh, let me no, see. First if, of all,
0: let me see if I can sum it up on offense real quick, and then we'll talk about the defense because their defense is the only thing worth talking about. Right. They lost Smoke Missile. So they're pretty much just shot at running back. They have got (laughs) Daniel Ham. He had four yards on three carries last year. Um, Jordan Ellis, he'll factor in. Freshman, Lamont Atkins, Jeremy Peacock. Olamide Zacchaeus and Donnie Dowling are the only two redeeming qualities of the offense because they're they're decent players. They're top two receivers, 50 receptions, around 600 yards for both, and combined 11 touchdowns. Other guys are going to have to step up at wide receiver and tight end. Because uh, their skill talent, other than those two receivers, is is lacking big time. And Ben Kurt, like yeah, fifty six percent. He's just average as average can be. He's fine, but with the surrounding cast, he's going to be no good. Last year, the defense switched to a three four, and I think Ruffin McNeil was defensive line coach. Correct? That's right. And Andrew Brown took a massive step forward, like you just said. He was a five-star guy who we recruited heavily and couldn't get it together at UVA, couldn't put all the pieces together. But the move from the 3-4 and making him a defensive end in a 3-4 rather than a defensive tackle in a 4-3 proved to be really, really good for him. And he was a killer. I mean, he had 13 tackles for loss and 6 sacks, and It took his game to another level. They have decent depth at the defensive line, and Kaiser and Blanding are the only two other guys really worth mentioning on this defense. I mean, they got one guy at each level who's really, really good, and then, you know, some some decent pieces. The defense will be far better than the offense, but they're just going to get hung out to dry by the offense.
1: Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I I don't think there's... I don't see, based on Mendenhall's comments of how in dire straits that they were that he didn't realize, and just the general motivation from the offense and the fact that the the QB that they are likely starting also got benched last year. There's not a lot of supporting cast that I'm at all worried about. They're not recruiting at a very high level. Quite frankly, it's... Um, yeah, I'm not going to burn oxygen on it. I and I didn't in my preview either. I, as soon as I went into it and read, just you know how abysmal I had to I had to rehash how bad they were last year, and then
0: go into what it was going to be this year. I just kind of gave up on it. The rosiest picture that I can paint for UVA is three wins, and that's because you know Ben Kurt kind of had a nagging shoulder thing last year. That's why his play deteriorated. So maybe if he's fully healthy, they'll be better. And their defense is probably going to be one of the better units in the ACC in actuality, but their statistics won't bear that out because of how bad their offense is going to be. So they're going to be on the field so much, they'll be tired, worn down, more injuries, whatever. So it's, you know, it's going to be nice because at best, I mean, I'm looking at their schedule. There's no such thing as a gimme with UVA, first of all. They play William and Mary to start the season. they're always a de- decent FCS team and Richmond beat them by 17 points at home last year. So <laughs> William and Mary could easily win that game. The question is if, if Indiana
1: or Connecticut wins, the the entire fan base is going to actually implode.
0: Oh, Those man. are two Indiana's it, not going to be bad this year
1: either. I know that's my point, but they have been not great whatsoever and Connecticut oh, yeah. UConn's in disarray. If, if either of those teams pull it off, Boise State's a foregone conclusion. Yeah, they, UVA, they're, going to,
0: they're going to the Smurf turf. That's not good. Like no, that's, that that game is over. They already lost yeah. that game. Yeah, just, And to Louisville. And, of course, playing every team in the Coastal. And they pull BC from the other side. So I guess that's uh, somewhat redeeming. I don't know. Um, I said three wins. It's a max, man. I mean, it's just... I don't I don't know how they'd get to like they I don't know how they'd get to a bowl eligibility. They could get maybe to four with a couple of fluky plays, I don't know. But we should crush them again and we beat them 52 to 10 last year, which was awesome. And maybe it's a shutout this time. And I don't know.
1: and th- their three top defensive talents were all on the field last year and were relatively experienced. And the fact is, is that Andrew Brown and Quinn Blanding should have made the right decision when they were getting recruited by us and just gone to Virginia Tech. Could you
0: imagine? We'd be so good if we had those two guys on our team. Yep. <laughs> People-, People knock Blanding for coverage skills or whatever, but the guy's been in a horrible situation for the last four years. I mean, he had 120 tackles last year. He's doing – Kaiser had 134. He got like, ranked
1: today as the top he was the number 36 person by somebody online. I was reading number 36 player in all of college football in the country playing for UVA. Yeah. Think about that for a second. That that that's he's exceptionally talented
0: and I just most, wish God. most solo tackles I saw of anyone that we researched. 70 open field solo tackles that is impressive <laughs> that yep. is a, a ton that's this the guy can play and imagine if if Torian gray or Galen Scott or our current you know our current DB coaches had him they, he'd be even better than he is probably so agree all right man that's it we, we did all the teams took a lot of research took a lot of uh a lot of podcasting time but but we did it do you have any do you have any stuff you want to cover before we close out today? No, I think we got a beer break,
1: and then uh, I have a challenge uh, laid out for you. All right. What are you drinking, buddy? So right now, I am having a beer that the liquor store near me had just gotten in. I'm not sure if it's going to continue getting produced as much as it was. It's kind of a weird situation, they said, but it's called Modern Times uh, from Fortunate Islands out of San Diego California so just yet another good San Diego beer this is a hoppy tropical wheat so you're getting a, a little bit of the hoppiness in there a little tropical and then but it's actually a base wheat beer uh, the IBUs on it it's about 46 so if you think of a really hoppy beer you're probably up around the 80 range is, is probably what you're looking at so it's not that hoppy but it's really, really good. Everybody that's gone to, I love it. Everybody that goes to my liquor store, all the people that work there really like it. It's a wheat beer, um, so not an IPA. And I think it's it's fantastic. If you can find it, if you can get it, I'm not sure what the production is going to look like. It's low alcohol. It's only about 5%, but um, it's a great beer. I, I like it a lot.
0: So modern times just did a event at a bar really close to my house, and I wasn't able to go, but I've seen their cans a few places. They seem to be getting a lot bigger and uh, recently, and their logo and the way they do their cans are really like good looking cans. Like I don't know, I I think they have put a lot of pieces together to start like becoming a bigger brand. But yeah, that modern times beer I got to try a couple of those. That one sounds good. I'm drinking a beer. It's called 1916 Shore Shiver. And it's probably the first beer on the podcast from the state of New Jersey. And it's from Cherry Hill right outside of Philadelphia. And the brewery is called Forgotten Boardwalk. This brewery does a bunch of like beach-themed type beers. And the 1916 Shore Shiver is an IPA. And in 1916, apparently a shark terrorized— the shore of New Jersey and killed four people and injured seven more people. And so it sent a shiver through the shore and they named this beer after it. And it's really good. It's a uh, pretty much right down the middle IPA 6.9%. Very smooth, light enough to drink during the summer. And in fact, probably meant to drink during the summer since it's named after a summertime event, but it's really good. And if you're in Cherry Hill or you should go to this brewery forgotten boardwalk, they have, Cool beers. They had a coffee cake beer when I was in there. They had a funnel cake beer when I was in there. All kind of like interesting summertimey carnival boardwalk type stuff. Really good. Forgotten boardwalk shore shiver. All right, Robbie. No. What do you what do you gotta ask me before we close out here? All
1: right, what do I got for you? All right. So we don't uh to get into a, a personal note, one of the things that uh pete and i have in common is i have i have a uh a fond uh, affection for old school hip-hop and rap pete is a connoisseur i think of of some old school as well but he is also a little bit more into the stuff that i'm I'm not as which is some recent stuff so pete i'm about to play you an excerpt (laughs) from a song And I started like middle of the road on toughness. I I, I can, I can, I'm, I, this is more of a gauging segment to figure out how hard or how easy I need to make it for you, uh, of a song. I'll play like whatever, 15 seconds of it. And you can tell me, uh, two things, the artist and the year that you think it came out. Now I was thinking about this year concept. So I think if you get within two years of, of either side, I might have to lower it to one then that'll count so you don't have okay. to hit the year on the button but if you're within basically four years total two years on each side then you're good and this may be really easy for you it would be easy for me but i'm i gotta gauge your temperature and then we'll go from there how's that <laughs> sounds good i'm ready all right let's let's get this thing going yeah. hey you're my quality control make right. your party patrol you're my body it's- like
0: rhythm Oh man, I have I have limited idea of what that is. <laughs> so, you're a
1: little younger than I am, but this That's this would have been. Little... So, do you want me to give it to you? Because now um, now I can gauge. Because if from, I make a guess,
0: I could embarrass myself. Uh, yeah. Um, give me just one second. It sounds like it was some kind of a group rather mm-hmm. than an individual. That's right. Uh. uh you can ask for tips. Uh, were they from the first half of the 90s or from the second half of the 80s?
1: Uh, no, this is this is the very end, or well, I, so the year is out the window now. If yeah, I, if I can't I guess, guess the year. Yeah, yeah. So I need a hint. It is, hint on it is the year. in two thousand is when this came out. Two
0: thousand. Okay, so
1: yeah. I would have been I would have been a junior in high school
0: at that time that this this released. I I thought it sounded kind of sounded like Big Boy. So I'm gonna say Outcast, but that's probably not right. Jurassic 5 quality oh, control yeah. <laughs> in 2000.
1: So now I'm going to have to step in. I do a know little. of
0: Jurassic 5, but yes, I, I, I not very many of their songs.
1: Yeah, they only have like it's only four songs that probably anybody that like kind of pays attention to hip hop would 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 really know. If you're in the weeds and you knew about them, then you might know more than that. But that that's that's a that's a good guess. I like it. They do have a similar vibe to 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 your guests so
0: yeah i think if it was something like cameron or something i would have had a better shot but uh the the more of the obscureness of of jurassic five i would struggle with in any case next time i will try to i'll try to stump you with one and we'll see if we can do that um well thanks for listening everyone i know this is again a long episode but we uh, we had to get through this, and it helps us do our previews later in the year by doing them in the summer, gives us a little bit of a point of reference to what the preseason expectations were, to what they are during the year and how they've changed. So thanks for listening if you made it to the end. And as always, subscribe on iTunes, or I should say Apple Podcasts, and hit us on Twitter. It's at 2DVT, questions, comments, and you can – for more private questions or comments, you can do 2deepbt at gmail.com. And uh, we're going to have some interesting stuff hopefully coming up over the next month and a half. Uh, season preview, West Virginia preview, maybe a guest here or there. And uh, then the season will be fully underway and we'll be in week-to-week mode here. Uh, I'm excited, man. It's, it's starting to get so close. I'm, I'm pumped.
1: Yeah, I think there has to be a forewarning. I have a baby due in like <laughs> three and a half weeks or thereabouts. So um, we'll, we're going to do our best to keep things normal. I'll still be doing you a know, ton of week to week. We'll do all of our normal week to week in the season. That I can promise. Um, and then we'll see what ends up happening once there's a small child that needs me to uh, actually feed it food and
0: uh, take care of it, unlike I do with myself very often. It's gonna be a change, that's for sure. Let's see if if it affects your uh, your research throughout the season. That's right, that's right. <laughs> All right, and until next time, go hokies.